uh, oh yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention, um, I just moved from Grand Rapids to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and we, we like just now got settled a couple of days ago. So um, that's the reason for the gap in content, which you probably didn't even notice because there's usually long gaps between episodes, which is because I'm writing. But the difference this time, at least for me, is that I haven't been writing because I've been moving. So the gap between episodes will just be a couple of weeks longer. Um, okay, next question. Um, this is from Andre. Hi, Emerson. I'm a recent Christian who's been listening to your podcast for a couple months now because I find it valuable to listen to other to the other side. It seems to me the argument of ichthyism relies on a material understanding of that which is supernatural, all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. <laughs> ever-present? Um, if one believes such things about God, why should one expect humans, mere creations of this being, to be able to make sense of him? So why would we be able to make sense of God with our tiny little human brains that God created? Um, well, you know, the thing is we're not required to expect that we could make sense of God, but um, Andre's not listening to this, but you, Andre, are a theist, so you don't really get to make this move because you're the one who's claiming to know all these details about who God is and what he wants. Um, taking like a Mysterian attitude towards God undermines the whole project of apologetics. It undermines theism. <laughs> like you, this move is not open to you. Like be a deist or an agnostic, if that's really what you think, um, that we just can't understand God. Um, so yeah, like I'm assuming in the, in that atheism series, I was assuming that we could make rational sense of God's attributes. Um, so let's just consider like both options here. So let's say that we can make rational sense of, uh, of God's attributes. Um, then they shouldn't be internally contradictory. Um, you know, we shouldn't have an omniscient and disembodied God. Those two things are not compatible. Whenever you talk about the contradictory, how God is contradictory in light of his attributes internally, um, people always think that you mean God's goodness and his all-powerfulness. And, uh, I, there's something there, but that's usually not my go-to. Um, it's just tricky because the nature of morality is tricky and the nature of God's morality is even trickier. So I just tend to avoid it. Like, I don't even think I talked about it that much in the atheism short pitch episode when I was just listing contradictions. Um, the first contradiction that came to mind just now <clears throat> was... Oh, right. Fear, frustration, and despair. Those are the three things that I was struggling to remember. So I don't understand how a God could be omnipotent and feel fear or frustration or despair. Yeah, fear, frustration, despair are produced by limitations that God doesn't have as an omnipotent and omniscient being. Um, I, also, I already mentioned omniscient and disembodied. There's knowledge associated with what it's like to be a body. Um, actually, the next question has to do with that. Um, 
Okay, so I'm thinking about Andre's question here. So the thing is, like, theism and apologetics and theology, like, it's all predicated on the idea that you can know God's nature, like, you can know his attributes, and that you can make rational sense of God, and that you can even know what he wants and what he thinks in his opinion of um, homosexuals and abortion and Donald Trump and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, and then as soon as someone puts you in the hot seat, you're like, well, God is unknowable. It's like, Sorry, you can't make that move. You can't retreat into transcendence whenever someone puts you in the hot seat and says, isn't there a contradiction here? Like, aren't God's attributes internally contradictory? And you say, well, who can know this? Shut up. Like, you're a theist. Like, you have, you can be an agnostic or a deist and say stuff like that. You cannot be a Christian theist, spend all day long going to Bible study and going to church all day long. Should Sorry, I'm hungry. I'm getting agitated here. Um, you can't just like go to Bible study and go to church and then act like you know exactly what God wants from you and what he's like. And then turn around as soon as someone questions you and say, you can't know God. You can't know his attributes. You know, it's like an ant trying to understand a human. It's like that that move is not open to you as a theist. Um, and... Uh, Secondly, God, God made us this way. Like you want a relate, like God wants a relationship with us. And then he made us incapable of understanding like who he is and what he wants. Like that doesn't make any sense. If God wanted to under, if God wanted us to understand him better, he could have created our brains just a little bit differently. Seems like he would want us to uh, be able to understand him, you know, if he wanted a personal relationship with, with us. And if we can't understand him, it's his fault. Okay, from Austin. Why does God need to experience... This is about the atheism episode again. Why does God need to experience something to have complete knowledge of it? I mean, just right off the bat, that sounds like a ridiculous question to me. Um, your assumption is not compatible with the definition of omnipotence. <laughs> and then he puts in parentheses, all-powerful, in case I didn't know what omniscience meant or omnipotence meant. An omnipotent being would have the power to gain knowledge of something without experience. By saying such, you violated the definition of omnipotence rather than providing a contradiction to the omniscience trait, as you assert. Um, again, I'm just assuming that all this is rationally, like, intelligible. So, yeah, you, uh, you don't know everything about an experience until you've had the experience. Um, there's a type of knowledge that's associated with having an experience, um, that you don't gain by the most creative roots you can imagine, but if you don't actually have the experience itself, there's something about that experience that you don't know. It doesn't mean that you have no clue what's going on. It doesn't mean that like you can't get the gist or that you can't like positively imagine what might be going on. The point is just that there is something that you don't know until you have the experience. Like if you want, if you've never seen red before and you say, what is it like to see red? And then <clears throat> I point you to something that's red colored and I say, it's like this. Or uh, you say, you know, what does it feel like to be poked? And I say, it's like this. Or, um, you know, 
what does horseradish taste like? And then I say, it's like this. <laughs> That's me shoving a spoon of horseradish in your mouth. Um, there's certain knowledge that you don't have until you actually have the experience. And um, there, there are lots of things that God hasn't experienced. So he's not omniscient. You can't be. And like, again, the temptation is to go straight to the moral examples. Like, does God know what it's like to, um, you know, uh, have, you know, sex with donkey or something? Like, does he know what it's like to like, of course not. Like, but he's supposed to be omniscient. So the sinful knowledge, you know, comes to mind right away. But um, you don't have to go there. You can just say, does God know what it's like to be to do a handstand? And it's like, uh, well, how could he, you know, because he he doesn't have a body. He's disembodied. So the conviction here is between being disembodied and being omniscient. And again, if you want to just wave a magic wand and say like, oh, this doesn't have to make sense, then fine, whatever. But you've undermined the entire project of theism and apologetics by saying this doesn't have to make rational sense. This doesn't have to be rationally intelligible. Um, if it's if it's not rationally intelligible, then what are we doing? Why are we talking about it? Um, but the thing is, you don't think it's rationally unintelligible. You don't. Like it's only when someone starts. It's only when you're under the gun that you are even tempted to say that. When something doesn't make sense or you don't know how to answer something, you know that's when you start making these appeals. But in your day-to-day -day Christian life, you know when you're at Bible study or when you're at church or when you're talking to me, like you don't believe that. You you just it's just a thing that you thought of that kind of gets you out of the argument. Yeah, my my only he said I'm making an assumption here. The only assumption I'm making is that there there there's a type of knowledge by acquaintance that one gains by having the experience. So my claim is just that it's it's logically impossible to have a disembodied and omniscient mind. And all I really need for that is that all you have to grant is that you don't possess every single aspect of, of you know, an experience unless you have the experience. There's something that you don't know about until you have the experience. And God hasn't had certain experiences. Um by virtue of being perfect, morally perfect, yes, but also by virtue of being disembodied. And the fact is, like, you know, I've just been thinking of humans. God doesn't know what it's like to be a bat. He doesn't know what it's like to be, you know, my fat-ass cat laying on the couch right now. Um, uh, he doesn't know what it's like to be all sorts of things. And if you're, so he's not omniscient. Um and if you want to limit God's omniscience to being like, well, he's, he has all the knowledge that a being of his, of his type has, then it's like, that just seems totally circular. Like, that just seems like by that uh, definition of omnipotence, like, I'm omniscient. Like, you could imagine a being, um, if you think I don't meet the criteria, then you could still imagine a being who clearly does not seem omniscient, who has all the type of knowledge that a being of his type um, could possess. Oh, hang on, there's live chats coming in. Um, so all I'm saying really is that like God is kind of like Mary the color scientist with all kinds of experiences. And in order for him to have complete knowledge of what it's like to have those experiences, you either have to basically just invoke magic or you have to have a certain like radically materialist interpretation of the knowledge argument of the Mary the color scientist argument, which presumably the theist doesn't have that interpretation of the knowledge argument. So um, 
So it's kind of like a dilemma. But I, I went through that in a lot more detail in the Ixiasm short pitch episode. Uh, okay, so this one is from Yurm Yurm. <laughs> uh, thanks, Emerson. Your podcast has helped me through my journey. Cheers. Well, thank you, Yurm Yurm. Um, yeah, deconverting um, was probably the most psychologically destabilizing experience of my entire life because I took it really seriously. I was in ministry. My whole family's in ministry. Um, and Reasonable Doubts, the podcast, kind of helped me through it, and I kind of wanted to do that for other people, so that's why I made it. But um, uh, not everyone feels that way. I know plenty of people who didn't think it was that big of a deal to become an atheist. Um, now I don't give a shit. Now it's like I don't understand how anyone uh, is a Christian, to be completely honest with you, which just kind of shows that I'm out of touch. But yeah, it uh, it definitely gets easier, and now it's like, it didn't take that long either. It was a couple of years <clears throat> that were pretty rough, but uh, pretty soon it'll seem weird that anyone even believes in this stuff. From Keegan J. Chalker. Hey, Emerson, thanks for all the rational and well-thought-out arguments you make. I'm super bad at that kind of stuff, and you word it in a way that I otherwise couldn't. Well, if you talked to me in person, you'd probably be less impressed. Um yeah, I, I mean, I script all the episodes. Like, I, That's why the gaps between episodes are so long and why the gap between the next episode is going to be pretty long because I've been moving, like I said. But um, yeah, it, it takes me, I take a really long time to, to script it out and I am not as eloquent in real life as I am um, on the podcast because I'm reading from a script, which is another reason why I wanted to do these live streams because there are a bunch of interviews that I'm very interested in doing um, over the next few months. But anyway, thank you for those compliments. I'm glad that it, um, I'm glad the podcast is useful to you. Um, it's also useful to me. I mean, that sounds conceited, but it's like, I go back and listen to some episodes and I'm like, damn, this guy is smart. <laughs> he knows way more than me about this topic. Cause, um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's a long process of like basically writing an article and, uh, I don't have all that stuff like, you know, I don't have like command of everything that is that I write about um, just off the top of my head. But sometimes I'm just like, man, whoever wrote this knows a lot more about this topic than I do. <laughs> um, let's see here. Free will. I've talked about that. Book recommendations. Okay, well, I got through all my questions here. I wanted to, I'm, I'm going to try to hit an hour, so I've got 10 minutes left here. So I was watching <laughs> Capturing Christianity, um, which is a great channel. It's a YouTube channel hosted by Cameron Bertuzzi. And he had, he figured out, oh, I can just have people who are smarter than me on. <laughs> just I can just host discussions between people who um, have something to say. And like, that's kind of how he, uh, built up his ministry, as he calls it. Um, that is the funniest part of this whole thing to me, is of capturing Christianity, of how he's just like, I want you to pray and ask God if uh, if he's leading you to donate to the ministry. And by donate to uh, God's ministry, I mean uh, subscribe to my Patreon. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, if you, if you want to PayPal me, Cameron Bertuzzi, money, uh, I mean donate to God's ministry. It's like, I wish I'd do that. 
anyway. Keegan says, writing's my biggest weakness, too, so you still got me beat. Um, well, okay. <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm a decent writer. I want to get better at it. I um, There's this Nietzsche quote that I heard from Peter Shersted, who I want to have on the pod. Nietzsche said um, something like, you should, you're writing, when you're writing philosophy and all that, you should um, get as close as you can to poetry without crossing over and yeah I've after reading some just like dense and just poorly written like philosophy because I love philosophy not as crazy about philosophers and I'm even less crazy about their writing um for the most part um yeah I've just been feeling it more and more like I should just work on my writing um because whenever you come across someone like Galen Strawson or Peter Shursted who put a lot of effort into their form and their style, like as much effort into that as they do their actual philosophy. It's like so refreshing and it's so rare. Um, you know, obviously Nietzsche was the best at it. Um, the form and style is like a part of his philosophy as much as his actual philosophy. But let me find this Nietzsche quote. I tweeted it out. Strategy on the part, <clears throat> strat excuse me. Strategy on the part of the good writer of prose consists of choosing his means for stepping close to poetry, but never stepping into it. And that was from Nietzsche's like ten rules for writing or whatever that he sent to this woman that he wanted to marry, who rejected him pretty hard. He had a bad life, that guy. Um. Anyway, so the last thing I wanted to touch on was. Cameron Bertuzzi having William Lane Craig on, they were going through like atheist memes, you know, like just Ricky Gervais saying something or whatever. And, uh, you know, whatever they're, they're, they're doing what they should be doing, I guess, from their perspective. But the funniest part to me was, um, Craig was just like, you know, and what they're doing is they're not really making arguments for atheism. What they're doing, they're ridiculing, and I was like, yeah, they are, because your beliefs are ridiculous. And by the way, ridicule works. I don't know if you've seen the uh, trends lately of, of you know, which is growing in America, like Christianity or non-religion, but um, ridicule works. And uh, I think it's fine. I don't think it's, I mean, it is kind of, it's not a strictly rational process, but, you know, I'm not like going to restrict myself to you know, you can only make rational arguments for the positions that you want to promote, especially if you're an anti-theist and you think religion is harmful, then why would you just make, why would you just make rational arguments against God? Like, why would you not also use ridicule and comedy and, um, and appealing to people like Christopher Hitchens who are cool and charming and stuff like that? Um, yeah, it's, that all seems perfectly fine to me. Um, that's how humans are. I don't, I don't see why we shouldn't take advantage of it. So ridicule works. And, uh, anyway, but there was just this part, oh my fucking God, this, the part of this video that I want you to hear. It's about, um, it's about like, uh, Christian's attitudes towards homosexuality in their god or any other god and i'd say to them you know tell me the reasons why you don't believe in all the other gods and that's the reason i don't believe in yours and 
just to interject, that's actually not a very good, um, that's not a very good argument from Ricky Gervais. Um, I'm a fan, but the, the reason, because he says, uh, explain why you don't believe in all the other gods and I'll explain. And, and then you'll have answered your question about why I don't believe in yours. And it's like, well, they, they're monotheists. So it's like for them, the slot is already filled. The reason they don't believe in Allah is because they already believe in a different God. They don't have arguments against Allah. They don't, it's just, there's a God slot and Yahweh is in it. It's taken. I mean, that's my read on why most people aren't. So it just doesn't strike me as a good argument because it's like, they don't have really good arguments against Islam or anything like that. They just, uh, the role, the role is already filled. And I've got nothing against people believing God at all. You know, um, uh, in fact, if, if it, you know, did make you a kinder person, if you only did good things in his name, then great. I know, but there's the rub. Uh, it's when uh, I see some of these religious fundamentalists saying that um, they've told their five-year-old children that if they turn out gay, they will burn in hell. That, to me, is child abuse. Well, there are a number of points here. Um, he's saying that he is tolerant of people who want to be religious so long as they do not engage in behavior that injures others. And, of course, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. Great saying. Say we can be tolerant of atheists uh, so long as they do not engage in behavior such as 20th century atrocities uh, Stalinists did in the old Soviet Union uh, that hurt others as well. So the principle would be I'm sorry, but like that's so stupid. Like yeah, I mean Christians tell their kids that they're if that being gay is a sin and it causes immense psychological damage and they say homosexuality is you know something that you go to hell for. Um and on the other hand atheists, you know, such as Vladimir Lenin <laughs> It's like, come on, man. Like, do you actually think that, like, Lenin did what he did because of his atheism? Like, you've just, you know nothing about the history of the Soviet Union or, like, Lenin's ideology, which, like, you know, I obviously probably not that many people do know about that. But it's like, there is no way that you see, the, how are those two things equivalent? Like the there's a much more direct connection between hating gay people and the kinds of the kind of child abuse that Gervais was talking about and Christianity than there is between the, like the like accepting one proposition and doing what Lenin did. Like it, it's just it's it's beyond disingenuous and it just makes me want to say fuck off and just like you know make a jack off motion not even try to. Um, rebut it because it's like you that, that is not this anyway i'm i'm very hungry right now i'm not terribly eloquent <laughs> the same one correction though would need to be made he says the reason he doesn't believe in um the god of i'm just gonna skip ahead a little bit thing is the demons for christian the same as you meant for apologetics as well yeah, and I think it's also fair to say that his point does kind of apply to a good number of Christians who just haven't no, really thought yet. deeply about why they believe what they believe. And so he does have he does have something to say about that, but it's not going to apply to someone like yourself or other Christian apologists, other Christian thinkers who have spent some time looking at the evidence and then came to the conclusion 
that Christianity was true based on the evidence. Like that's just not, yeah, you can't reject uh, Islam because you have evidence for, for, uh, Anyways, you get the point. All right, here's the, here's clip. Yeah, and I, I just want to say as well, I don't know of any Christian parent who says to um, his child, if you are gay, then you're going to burn in hell. That's, I think, a cruel caricature. Uh, I don't know of any Christian parent. He doesn't know of anyone who says such a thing. Yeah, that was actually a good point. My, my wife brought that up. She was like, who is telling their five-year-old kid that they're yeah. going to, to spend eternity in hell if they're gay? It's like... Christians. Christians don't do that. It's just a, a weird thing to say. Yeah, Are you fucking kind of like kidding me? Are you Christian kidding me? Right? The Bible doesn't teach that homosexuals are sent to hell. It teaches that unrepentant sinners send themselves to hell. And homosexuality is a sin. So All right, here's, uh, here's clip number three. Fucking assholes. Fucking disingenuous fucking asshole. He li I can't. There are no Christian. Can you imagine a Christian saying such a thing? Like, I... <laughs> That is so infuriating. It's so, like, he's just like, what Christians are, are telling their gay kids that they'll go to hell for being gay? It's like, I, I'm sorry, did you get hit in the head with a fucking anvil? Do you have amnesia? Like, this guy, Cameron, is like 30. And, like, William Lane Craig is like 60 or 70 or something. Like, baffling. I mean, isn't that just, isn't that wild? Just being like, can you imagine Christians saying that homosexuality is wrong and it'll get you sent to hell? Can you imagine saying such a thing? Um, it was just like, how can you say that? Like, how can you, that is just such a deliberate lie. That is just, that is a damn lie. Like, but anyway, um, uh, Michael Shermer made this prediction in the moral arc. Uh, you know, most Christians were against slavery slavery abolition um but there were a handful of christians who were abolitionists so as time went on christians looked back and they just started revising history they were just like they started pointing at the abolitionists who were christians and they were like yeah that that was us Whew, christians you know th those were our guys and uh you know ignoring the fact that the vast majority um, were in just fine with slavery and cited the Bible to justify it. But as time went on, they started ignoring, they started revising it, they started pointing to the Christian abolitionists, and eventually they just started straight up taking credit for it. They were just like, yeah, Christians abolished slavery because of their Christian beliefs. And it's like, huh, took them a while. <laughs> Pretty weird, huh? That it wasn't really until secularism started popping up it wasn't really until Christianity just was beginning to start to lose its grip that that's about the time, you know, right about the time when, uh, you know, cause slavery, I mean, it's, it's still around in some forms. Um, but you know, like the type of chattel slavery we're talking about, um, you know, it's just, it's wild because they just started taking credit for it. So anyway, Michael Shermer's, um, prediction was that gay marriage will soon become legal. This was before 2015. Gay marriage will soon become legal in the U.S. Christians will start to point back towards, you know, whoever, Unitarians, Presbyterians, whoever, people who were in favor of gay marriage um, earlier than other Christians. And they'll say, yeah, that was our guy. Look at these Christians who, uh, you know, were in favor of gay marriage. And his more radical prediction was that someday they'll be taking credit for 
passing gay marriage. And boy, that didn't take long, did it? Um, it didn't take long, at least for, okay, 2015 to 2020, five years, and Christians are already revising. I keep pointing to my phone that I threw on the ground. Um, they're already revising history and just being like, a Christian who's anti-gay, can you fathom such a thing? Can you imagine a, a parent telling his gay child or telling his child that being gay is a sin and sins get you sent to hell? Which, by the way, they contradicted themselves. They were like, uh, you would never say that to your kid. Specifically, they said, you would never say that to your five-year-old. And it's like, who's talking about homosexuality with their five-year-old anyway? Like, who's talking about sexuality, period, with their five-year-old? But, um, I mean, I'm not a parent. Maybe you are, but it seems early. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's like disingenuous, just more disingenuousness. But then it's like, uh, they're like, the Bible doesn't teach that being gay will get you sent to hell. Yes, it does. But it teaches that um, sinners send themselves to hell by choosing to sin. And it's like, okay, so homosexuality is a sin. Sins get you sent to hell. Connect the dots there, dumbass. Like, why are they, like, it's like, so they admitted implicitly that Gervais was right. Like, in their own thing, in their own denial. But, oh my God, just that fucking, just the fucking, like, you know what Christians say this anyway? Like that j is just maddening. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild that they can just lie like that. I mean, I'm glad they're coming around, I guess. But for Christ's fucking sake, just like, just acting like you know who who's what Christians anti-gay? What? What are you talking about? Like fuck off. Anyway, so on that cheery note, I'm going to uh, say goodbye. <laughs> um, for the next live stream next month, uh, feel free to, to send me questions. Um, anyway, you can get in touch with me. There are a few different ways. Follow me on Twitter at WaldenPod. Um, what else? Thank you guys for being patrons. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, next episode, like I said, unfortunately it'll be a couple more weeks because i haven't been writing because i have been moving um yeah but i have a few different scripts i don't know what the next one's going to be it might be about yeah the young earth because for some reason that's been on my mind lately but um but who knows i have a bunch of scripts that are like half done and who knows which one will get done first so anyway love you guys have a good one